Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to my Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hello, Jen. Happy Sunday. Hello. Happy Sunday. Long weekend. No complaints from me. Oh, yeah. Our head of state has a birthday. Happy birthday to our head of state. <laughs> yeah, because we care. <laughs> I will take the public holiday. Now that I'm safely a citizen, <laughs> I can say that I am not a monarchist. I don't really care, but I'm just not. Like, I don't think that there's any added value. You know? I, yeah, I think it's ridiculous and pointless <laughs> and ludicrous mm. that our head of state is thousands of miles away in a different country and we have to pretend to care. But I will take the public holiday. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm okay with the public holiday. I think that even if we become a republic, Australia, New Zealand, whoever, I think we should still get to keep the colonialist overlord birthday seems fair. Yeah, for all the pain and suffering that we've endured up until this point. Absolutely. Anything for a public holiday, really. Yeah, true. Agreed. <laughs> but I am looking forward to just not having to do anything. That's going to be my whole day tomorrow, just chill. Yay! Well, what's Fog Joy for you this week? Uh, this weekend we had my son's birthday party and I made a Kirby cake. And this cute. involved... <laughs> it was really cute, actually. It involved printing off a picture of Kirby from the internet and tracing it and buying a lot of different colors of fondant and hoping that it didn't turn out to be a cake wreck. And it seems okay. Like, it, it was all right. But um, fondant is not my normal thing. I'm really good with the icing tip and the nozzle and, like, doing the buttercream icing. So this is a whole different ballgame. But everybody enjoyed it, and it was really fun. So I'm glad that I did it. <laughs> good good work, time. you. Thanks. First time for everything. And he really liked it, which was the important thing. Um, unfortunately, they didn't have any Kirby decorations. So we went with Super Mario everywhere else, and he got a really cool Super Mario hat from his uncle as a gift, which was awesome. It looks so cute on him. I'm like, this is the perfect gift for you. <laughs> he wore it all Aww, day. Aw, cute. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? A bit of a weird one, but we had the Succession finale on Monday, and my friend came over and we watched it together, because we have caught up on all of Succession over the last seven weeks, so it's been a lot Holy of Succession. Boy so that we could do the finale when it came out and we wow. did and you know what like it really delivered as a finale i was mm. very happy with it very satisfied thought it was like a really good culmination of all these horrible people and all the horrible things that they've done so yeah. i thoroughly enjoyed that i don't watch the show but i've read a lot of meta about it and i really enjoyed going through the succession tag on tumblr just seeing what people thought and there was a lot of thought about whether or not shiv had just like unhappily inherited the position of her mother or she did it on purpose or it was just so that she could keep like in the game somehow like there was so much centered on Shiv's story about what what people thought the take was for the takeaway was for her but I just felt so bad for her in the end I'm like man this is not a person who is ever going to be happy no because she's playing in the sandbox that her father made and you know Uh. she had that great line at her father's funeral where she said he couldn't keep a whole woman in his head and like yeah. in this world that she's trying to play in, there is no room for women. So by trying to be in it, she's giving up everything she is, everything she values in order to play in this sandbox, basically. Yeah. And I think the counter argument was, but she did it so her brothers would be free. And I'm like, well, that seems awfully sacrificial for Shiv. But she I don't think like... that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's not my read on it at all. I don't think she did it for them. I don't think she cares. I don't think any of them care. I think the only one who really cares is Roman, which I know is a controversial opinion, but... Yeah. I can see why people like him, but they are all awful. They're just all awful. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need a redeeming quality. Let them be okay. Oh my goodness. There's no redeeming yeah. people that rich. There's just nothing to <laughs> redeem them. Fair enough, I guess. Especially when they grow up in it and they're trying to fight to stay in power of it. I think I read a really good, I can't remember if I can find this article or not, but I read a really good article about how like they're always in these beautiful environments. Like they have these beautiful houses and villas and they're in these amazing places and they just never appreciate where they're at because they've seen it. It's just been the background for their whole life. This immense wealth Mm. and quality. And I was just like, that's saying something. Like if you put anyone else there, they would be like, look at this hotel, look at this amazing villa. But like everyone else... 
everyone in the show is just like meh yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. well sophie and i are starting a new podcast where we talk about things that we're very late to the party on watching and Ooh. our first episode is on succession so for more thoughts and records <gasps> yes. it'll be up soon yeah yeah as soon as i edit it we'll put a link in the show notes this is exciting i'm excited to hear you and sophie talk about more tv literally there's no schedule though it's just going to be as and when we watch something that we should have watched literal years ago and be like (laughs) oh yeah this thing anyway amazing well back on topic this week we're reading chapters 43 to 47 through the theme of change did you have a story for us i do i do have a story on the theme of change uh or maybe just some thoughts Uh, So I have always been the kind of person who enjoys change. I think some of this is down to having ADHD where having and like being understimulated feels like the emotional equivalent of having red hot needles driven into my eyeballs. And some of it's because I'm an optimizer. I really enjoy refining processes. I like it when things are dynamic, when I have the time to explore all the possibilities, when I can absorb every nuance and evaluate it. That's when I'm at my happiest. So for me, change is a magnificent and necessary and welcome part of life. Yes, things will change and it's marvelous. But I am part of a family and they do not have the same relationship to change that I do. I've joked a lot that my husband is allergic to change and it's kind of haha only serious. I understand that he likes familiar routines and he likes when things are planned and he likes that he has outcomes that are all predictably measurable. That sounds really peaceful and I'm into it, but it's just not for me. My daughter needs to feel like she's in charge of her life. And that's something that happens to a lot of kids her age who are right on the cusp of adolescence. So her tolerance to change is evolving as we speak. So right now she's okay with change. That's her idea, but she really digs in against the changing of a plan. She's always been attached to like the first form planned. And as she gets older and more independent, she wants her opinion to hold more water, which means that she'll sometimes be more stubborn than she actually needs to be. And this is totally fine. This is just how she is. But it means that I can't think out loud when I'm planning. Because while she is like mm. hearing me say, oh, maybe we can do this. She, she, I say, maybe we can do this. And she hears it as, first, we're doing this. And then I go, oh, no, that won't work. We need to do something else. And she's like, wait, what? You just made a plan. That's the plan. And so for her, having any plan at all is like locked in. So I can't say it until I'm ready to actually like enact it. My son is okay with some change as long as he's been forewarned. But even if you don't like warn him and it, you just happen, he's actually pretty good at like just trying to take it on the chin. He's the least visibly stressed out of all of us when change happens, but things tend to linger. So once he mentioned a time that I picked him up from dance by walking over rather than driving up to the gallery doors. He wasn't upset, but he needed to understand why I had done that, why I had made that change. And that was like two months after it had happened. And I could not remember why I had walked that day, but I had just been like churning around in his mind. Like this was different. This was a change. I need to understand why. And I was like, um, it must've been because the weather was really nice. Like, what, what do you say? You don't, you don't know. Um, so this is just how my family and I are. As I grew up, I learned that if I wanted to be able to work on something, I needed a dynamic environment or I would become the dynamic environment for everyone else, whether they liked it or not. And I learned that I had to channel my need for stimulation into safe changes like moving furniture or doing a big clear out or painting a bedroom every couple of years. Changing my environment became the safe and sane option because it's about the magical girl transformation sequence. It's like when Sailor Moon <laughs> does the thing and then she like spins around a bunch and transforms. That's what changes for me. It turns me into Sailor Moon. It makes me better and more capable than I was before. I just feel like everything is ready to go when I'm ready to act. But I live in a family with people whose needs are different to me. So moving the furniture around isn't great when my husband is miserable for a week afterward as he reroutes his mental routines. Um, Doing a big clear out has unexpected consequences if I donate a favorite pair of way too small jeans that someone wasn't ready to let go of. And maybe I should just always do dance pickup by driving to the gallery doors rather than walking because I don't know if I'm going to be able to account for every time I change my mind. So the change for me as I have been raising my family and growing in my marriage is to embrace these smaller changes. So you won't find me moving the couch around every couple of months, but I can move my desk pegboards around because those are only mine. I flip between projects like knitting and quilting and stitching and making different things and I set movable goals for myself so I can change things that are only for me. I content myself with getting rid of things but only after they've been hidden in the boot of the car for a month or two so that nobody can say that they need them. I feel like if they've been in the boot of the car for a couple months no one's gonna miss them. In short I'm still a fan of change but I'm learning to be less dynamic so that my family has the stability they need. It's a big change for me but hey I like change. Oh that's so nice of you that you're willing to take on that change for others. 
I think because I have the capability, I can do it. <laughs> it's just mm. a lot harder for everyone else. I'm working on their resilience too, especially with my kids. Like my husband, he's old enough to figure out how to get through things, but even when it's going to benefit him, it's just really hard for him to get through it. Mm. I get it. I really do. But also, I love the opportunity to clear everything out and make a fresh new situation. My mom's like that. Like, she'll just, she loves moving furniture around. Mm. And my grandfather, like her dad, would literally take out walls and stuff all the time. He was a civil engineer. So he'd be like, well, I want to change this room or we're going to move this and like just move whole rooms. And so she grew up in this environment where you're like, oh yeah, whatever. But Mm, my dad and I are very much creatures of habit and... I think my dad, more than me, really doesn't like it. Be like, why have you changed everything? Why have you moved the furniture? Like, for me, things go into my room and I will never move them. They just stay in their places. When I move house, I will set up my rooms exactly the same because I like the yeah. I don't know I just don't I don't want to think about it so it just goes in the same but I'm not like resistant to change like if plans change or routines change whatever I don't care about that but when it comes to physical surroundings I'm like this is where they go <laughs> yeah I mean I really thought about whether or not I'm okay with change because I don't like it when people change things on me I don't like it when I don't know but I think that's everyone it's about whether or not you're willing to make changes in your own life that I I really looked at whether or not change was like good Mm. and I think I really enjoy being able to just upend things once in a while but in a safe way like when I was younger the impulsivity would cause problems for me because I would be like I need to do something I need to get that stimulation and like I had to learn the hard way that if you blow up your life you blow up your life so like what could you blow up in a safe contained way and that's usually Mm. like moving the furniture or cleaning out a bunch of stuff like that's 100% what I'm doing is just like blowing things up in a contained field yeah thanks for that story I will do our chapter summaries for us thank you so Gansey, the man with the plan, com- comforts Blue and decides they should go to find Mora ASAP. Meanwhile, Ronan and Adam deliver their distasteful package to Colin Greenmantle, who is thoroughly ready to leave town. But Piper and her minions are still weirdly attached to this spelunking thing, so he concedes he'd better go along. Piper kills Jesse Ditley and tells Colin to scram, and then he scrams, but the grey man stays because she's not keen to let him go as he held a gun to her head quite recently. Mm. Back with the Gangsy, Blue begs Colour to stay above ground and she ascends. Blue, Gansey, Adam, Ronan and Gwenhlian all descend into Caveswater's cave where they find a cave full of wondrous skeletons. Gansey wakes them, but only Blue and Ronan manage to leap onto the backs of the disappearing elk to get to the other side. I love that scene so much. I love that it's Blue and Ronan who are able to grab onto these dream creatures, these out-of-time, mystical, extinct beings, and get through a disappearing cave wall. It's so amazing. It's a beautiful section. Mm. And it's so different to Piper and Colin's experience of the cave, which is like breaking in a door and being murderers and, you know, this whole sulky, irritable awfulness. Well, I think that's an interesting change, right? Because I think Mm. in a lot of ways, Colin is undergoing a change in this moment. Like he has always been so disconnected from what he does because he doesn't get his hands dirty right which is why the latin that ronan leaves for him is so telling this idea that you think that just because you didn't do it yourself Mm -hmm. you had some sort of distance from it right but i think there's also a change in the way that he sees piper like he's always thought of her as this cold uncaring person and he was okay with it because he always loved himself more right but now he's looking at her and he's seeing the someone who has a shooting people face. And that's yeah. to say the face she wore all the time. And he's like, I should have stayed single. Should have stayed in Boston. Yep. Should have stayed single in Boston. <laughs> I love that line so much. I love where he's like, I think I'm going to sit this one out. And she's like, are you kidding me? And he's like, I'm not kidding. And then he's like, he's actually contemplating throwing up because it's so awful. And I'm like, oh, you see. And he's still do. like, he's edging around the door like because he knows that she'll shoot him. Like she doesn't trust. He doesn't trust her not to shoot him. And yeah. I think he's really he's really undergoing a big change in this section and also like having come off the back of Adam and Ronan threatening him with this evidence which he appreciates can completely sink him he's like I'm getting out of this town I am done with this grossness it's not nice Colin when the tables are turned is it exactly I love that this this was the biggest moment of change I think was that he lost his power he lost the ability to truly have power over these kids and he recognizes it and was like well I don't want to play anymore as soon as the rules changed and he was out of favor he just he didn't want to be there anymore and I love that this was the the change for him was that he couldn't be in charge anymore I was like oh that's how it is reminds me of these boys I used to play chess against right and there was also a certain always a certain kind of guy and they were almost always men very few girls played chess if you took their queen a lot of them would just resign on the spot 
And I used to think it was such a cowardly thing because mm. it's like, you can still win, my guy. I can yeah. still make so many mistakes, but you've just decided that you've lost your most powerful piece and therefore you don't want to play. It's like such a petty, pathetic thing to do. Yeah. Wild. Wouldn't yeah. you keep trying, I guess? I always did. I never resigned a game. I would play until the end because you never know. You never yeah. know if someone else is going to make a mistake. That's amazing. I probably need to learn how to play chess at some point. Um, also, in that moment, as you say, like Colin loses the power because mm. Adam and Ronan are holding all the cards. And I think it's a real change in the way that Adam and Ronan view their relationship and their abilities as well. Because we yeah. then see when they go into the cave, they're very confident in what they're doing. They've accepted their role as like the magicians, they right? So they're that. going in first... Mm-hmm. They're like making it safe for the others. They've really embraced that. And I just love that line where Blue's observing, you know, Caveswater would not let Adam die because of the bargain and it would protect Ronan for reasons unknown. <laughs> I mean, Blue and Ronan are cut from the same cloth. So I love that she's salty about his his grumpiness because they're both the same. They're so much the same. But they're a good balance between each other too. They can both mm. believe in the supernatural, in the occult without having to rationalize it or reason through it in a way that Gansey's really struggled with. And Adam is still kind of like trying to interrogate everything that happens. I like the moment where he says, when they're in that cavern and he says it feels like he'd slipped into one of Ronan's dreams, that was really telling that like Caveswater and Ronan are so threaded together that it's hard to tell the two apart. Same, same just beautiful but i also love this in that whole bit where there's this really there's this idea that emerges that connection to others like caring Mm. about others is what allows you to change perspective because he says on page 356 and i think this is beautiful when he said you know adam understood then that gansey and blues all changed this place ronan and adam may see this place as magical but gansey and blues wonder made it holy and I think that is such an important thing. Like sometimes you can experience something and to you it's like, yeah, whatever. But then you see your friend experiencing it or a loved one experiencing it. And you're like, oh, okay, this is important yeah. to you. So yeah, because yeah. you care about them, it changes your experience. If you're not the person who is making it holy, if you're not the person whose wonder is, is the forefront of your feeling, I hope that we as humans can begin to accept the idea that we can hold space for our friends and our family when they feel like that. Because that's something I really struggle with is I often find the wonder and stuff. And I grew up with a lot of cynics, man. And that section hits me really hard because Adam is like holding space for Blue in a way that I never really got. Like there was so much that I found to be entranced with. There was so much wonder in the world that I found to be entranced with. And I just want everybody to be able to be as incredibly alive and loved and known as blue is in that moment because it's just wonderful it's wonderful to see other people really experiencing that i don't know it's like when i watch my kids watching movies i don't watch the movie i watch them i want to see what they're laughing at what they're reacting to what they find funny cute one thing that didn't change was jesse ditley's fate and this made me really sad that he's killed so horribly and so unceremoniously and he's still protecting them as he kills them which is just so awful yeah like, it just feels like a waste. And I love that the gray man, you know, he's he he closes his eyes and he looks angry about it. And Colin's like, well, I guess he does have feelings because he looks really mad right now. And it's like, this is the only witness to his death who's going to care about it. And it just really struck me right then that this was a change that Blue couldn't enact. It was something that could not be changed. And she's been told that from the start, right? Like, yeah. you can't take people off the list. You can't change people's mm. fate. Um, but I also just love that the gray man's like, I am not dragging anyone anywhere without gloves on and you should have worn gloves when you shot him. Yeah. He's like, professional, pro- <laughs> professionalism first here, people. Job well done. Yes. The gray man <laughs> is good at this. And I love that he's <laughs> one of my favorite things that's so funny is like, Colin, the gray man said, I'm disappointed. Didn't you read the emblem? Yeah. Oh, for the love of the saints, green man to wail. This was not my idea. Like, he's such a baby. <laughs> He's like, I did, and I wanted to leave. This is a giant child. He's always gotten what he's wanted. I also love this observation from him, and I know that you are 100% going to disagree with this, but <laughs> when he says it occurred to Green Mantle how pointless a virtue mercy was. If Jesse Diddley had just shot Green Mantle earlier, Green Mantle would not be holding his gun now. And he's 100% correct. Mm. Like, if Jesse had just, like, taken them all out, but no, 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 we have to be the good guys. We have to sit around and ask questions. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see that it's right because I know the people involved, but 
I think I would still go the Ditley way and just be killed. <laughs> like, not because I want to be, but because I would just try and talk it through without having to hurt anyone. He's not there to shoot anyone getting into his cave. He's there to shoot the horrible things coming out of it. Yeah. So I can see why he did what he did, but was it mercy or was it just being who he is? I think those are the same. That's the same thing. <laughs> like, if someone is merciful and just within their nature, they're not going to shoot first, ask questions later. I'm wondering if Colin is being merciful by not like going along with this or if he's just like still being who he is, selfish and not wanting to get his own hands dirty. Because he doesn't care that someone died. He just cares that he could be implicated in the murder. Yeah, he he doesn't want to be involved. Like he says, you know, it's not about, it's about getting away with it. That's the hard thing. It's not shooting someone, it's getting away with it, right? Yeah, that's the part that he finds elegant. That's what he enjoys is figuring out how to get away with it. He's the, um, the dark side to Adam, right? Who finds it all very distasteful yeah. but is still able to come up with an extremely elegant solution to their problems he is a mirror to adam i think like adam mm. could very easily go down that route i mean i know that it's not uh sacred but i do remember at one point in the steve Otter class that i did where she talked about adam was originally going to go dark at the end of the first book and i'm really glad that <laughs> that it didn't happen because that would be a whole different series mm. but then we get green mantle who's ridiculous in his own way And very entertaining to read, because I know that he's not a real person and I don't have to worry about him being awful in real life. He is very funny. Like, even (laughs) though he is, you know, he's just, he's amusing. Mm. I find him Mm. quite funny. I don't, he just gives me strong vibes. He brings you joy because he's so ridiculous. Yeah, he does. Like, he does horrible things, but it's also quite funny. Anyway. He's a great villain for campiness. Like, yeah. Like, he's a ye olde Batman villain, you know? (laughs) Not a serious and terrible villain. Like, the closest I can come to, I'm thinking, is the um, the Skyfall villain, the ex-spy. Javier, was it Javier? Oh, Bergen? yeah, yeah, yeah. Both who was him, like, yeah. Yeah, who was like that kind of really intelligent and like willing to burn it all down, but also very charming kind of villain. Maybe not as intense. Mm. I think we also have to talk about the change wrought by death, right? Not just yes. in those who are left behind in the sense of individuals, but also the group. Like, it really stood yeah. out to me on page 331 when Gansey, you know, has this revelation where he talks about there's always been something immutable about the three women in 300 Fox Way. Yeah. You know, they were a trunk from which all the branches sprang. So this idea that one of them or two of them are now gone is just such an inconceivable thing that he has to immediately take action. I agree. And that, I think that Blue is not able to really articulate that in the same way but that's why she asked Kala to stay above ground like I just can't I can't I can't lose you too you know that's sort of what she's saying and Kala gets it and I hmm. I really love Kala for this moment where she changes every instinct she has she she does not go storming in even though she desperately wants to hmm. she stays behind for blue and it's just incredibly beautiful yeah and it would be so hard to do but she does it so that's that's a huge change right from her she i mean just pages before this decision to stay above ground she was throwing a glass at the floor to illustrate how stupid and how wasteful it was that persephone had died it's like it's just like that just destroyed for no purpose like this is the kind of person she is but to like really take the time and go no i will stay above the ground i will ground you from here like it's beautiful yeah I thought that glass thing was a nice moment of connection in a lot of ways as well, because it's this view that, you know, the reason that these horrible things happen is because people go off and do things on their own and you need a community to protect you, right? Like, that's part of the reason she's so angry, because she's like, enough of this flying solo nonsense. And then there's also that connection through grief. Like, they're all sharing this grief. They all sort of understand it. And Gansey also says, you know, he'd lived with Ronan's grief for long enough to recognize it. So he's not phased by this anger. So as a connecting point, I thought that was really quite lovely. It was beautiful that you get to see that that similarity between Kala and Ronan too, because we I've always said that they're very similar, and I love that mm. we're getting a little bit more of that. Just sometimes when you lose something, you do need to be a little bit violent. I get it. I think everybody has those impulses from time to time, but it's completely understandable. God knows I've wanted to break a few glasses in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're onto something when you talk about the way that everyone is changed by Persephone's death. It is the before and after that blue talked about in the last episode Mm. but it's also just the idea that it can happen to happy families you know 
could happen to anyone, right? Yeah, which is something they haven't really... I mean, Gansey has died, and he's feeling his own death creeping up on him again. Like, he talks about that a lot, this book. It comes up all the time, but he's thinking about it in terms of Blue. Like, if, if Persephone can die, then there's nothing to stop Mora from dying, too. So we have to take action now. Like, he wants to go in there and say, I'm sorry for your loss, but, like, he's so fundamentally ready to take action now. And this is yeah. very unlike Gansey, right? Mr. Planet to a T. I think there's also something in that, in the sense that we feel our connections should protect the people that we love. Like, if we just love yeah. someone enough, if we are connected to them strongly enough, then nothing bad will happen to them, right? So Blue cannot fathom death because she loves these people and she's connected yeah. to them. So how could they just be taken away from her? And Adam also has this moment where he thinks connections should have mattered more. Like, he's like, I found her and it didn't do any good at all. But yeah. it wasn't enough thing that's still the same is he has to get absolved by Gansey. Gansey has to tell him, you you did your best. Cal is proud of you. She told me that. Like, he still has to comfort Adam, who's miserable. And Adam is trapped until he gets that reassurance from Gansey. So he's, like, miserable but free after Gansey tells him that. Which is such a beautiful moment. Mm. He knows what to say to everyone. He even knows what to say to Blue and what to do. And it's so hard when you lose someone, but to just be present for someone in that grief is, for me, as an action person, wanting to make the casseroles, right? Like this, just sitting and being with someone is the hardest thing, but he's really hitting that out of the park. Love that for him. Mm. There's something in... Just to go off on a slight tangent, there's something in the way that the animals are extinct, unrecognizable, but they remember being alive, they remember having bodies, and it takes this like group effort, this community effort to wake them up, but it's Gansey's word that is what wakes them. I really love that, because there's also this whole thing about, he has this moment previously where he's talking to Gwenhlian, right, and he talks about, oh, I, I took an, I, I wrote it down, let me find it standby yeah so page 336 he says even through all this wrongness this impossibility this warmed gansey this was right glendower should have ruled by request not by command this was mm-hmm. the king he sought but it is his command that wakes up the skeletons he needs to take that action and have this like commanding presence for all yeah. for it to change right and i think there's a beautiful moment of change because it's that idea that you're always on the precipice of change and sometimes you just need a push and that command is the push that they need. Yeah, absolutely. The stop and then the wake up. Um, I also love how he calls Gwynclean out on her bitterness. And he says, like, this isn't just yours. Like, you, you're not the only one here with a right to bitterness. I thought that was really nice that he actually said it. Because he's the polite avoidance person. Mm. And there's a, there's a parallel as well with him being angry that she's kicking over these skeletons in the same way that he was angry at Ronan kicking in her, her tomb's door. Like, it's just disrespectful and he won't have it. <laughs> just kind of yeah. love that he's like stop it it's amazing that she's willing to go back underground really though i wouldn't have if i was in her position yeah fair call i mean i never want to go underground end of story <laughs> but if i had been <laughs> trapped under there in a tomb for like two thousand three thousand years no thank you unsubscribe yeah fair enough don't put me back there thank you <laughs> although i love that that cavern that they're in is filled with light like it's I don't know. I can just picture it so clearly. It looks like all of those pictures of the caves that you see, like that are massive caverns but have no ceiling, and like they have all the light streaming in and all the plants growing in them. And there's this beautiful meadow somewhere, well, valley in the Blue Mountains. I'll ask my mum what it's called, but that's what it looks like in my head because it's like overgrown with ferns and just beautiful, mm. and the like the sunlight is coming through the trees, so it's like kind of you know got these dust motes floating in the air sort of situation, and it's yeah. just beautiful diffused golden light, but underground. That's just what I think it looks like. Yeah, I love that Ronan is asking for a safe passage as well. Like it's such a difference, it's such a change from his usual like crash first through and then ask later. And Blue says, you know, it sounds like a prayer, which I, yeah. I just there's something beautiful about Ronan's religiousness as yeah. well as his magic you know coexisting in this way like and what we know of him now after the dreamer trilogy as well for him to be this traumatized catholic boy is just a whole thing (laughs) i love that it's the ritual of doing it in a way that because he always asks like he always asks so he's asking them for safe passage now but you don't you're not in the dream with him so we don't see him unless we're in his perspective like they don't get to see him asking for this but this is just him in the dream space asking for something mm. like he always would because when he takes it he doesn't want to be a thief he doesn't want to be like like convinced he was i have a lot of feelings about this section i read it three times and i was like 
worse every time I read it. <laughs> it goes without saying that I just really love the connection between Rodan and Adam in that chapter when yeah. they go to see Green Mantle. You know, he talks about them both being unsettling and the great line of them looking like horror movie twins, one dark, one light. I mm-hmm. love this otherworldliness that he sees in Adam as well, that he is reminded of Piper looking into the mirror, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's a connection further, deeper yeah. than he can see, than he can get to. And I love that he makes that connection that, oh, I've actually, I've misjudged these boys, right? But also the way he makes the connection, like he uses connections to get under people's skin. Like he uses that as a way yeah. to manipulate people. And Adam, who is a bit like that himself, he's an observer himself, is not wholly caught out by it. You know, he's sort yeah. of just like, mm, you know, I can play this game too. You know my address, big deal. Yeah. And he calls him a cuckoo. So good. Which is the worst kind of bird. Okay, so you know how much I love Planet Earth. Any of those documentaries, if there's a cuckoo, I fast forward through it. I can't do it. I hate it so much. Because they push they the other so babies out big. of the nest. I know, they just take up the whole nest. And I'm like, surely this mama bird can see that this bird is not right. No, it freaks me out. I just do not like it. No, thank you. <laughs> I just can't do it. Yeah. I do think there's something in manipulating connection. Like, it is something Mm. that you can use, right? And I think this is exactly what Adam is doing to Green Mantle as well. You know, he says none of it was true. All of it had been dreamt up, but it didn't matter. It looked true, truer than the truth. And I'm like, the things you can lead people to believe by just having them make connections, which is this whole, like, you know, fake news, misinformation stuff, being like, do your own research. Because, yeah, you can make anything look true if you seed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people get people want to believe things, and people love feeling angry, and they love feeling righteous about being wronged. I feel like people also like feeling smarter than everyone else. So if yes. you've made a connection that other people haven't made, yeah, which to bring it back to Succession, <laughs> I've seen all these articles. It's like, oh my gosh, the Succession poster spoiled the ending. I'm like, that is not. Just because you've now looked at the poster and you've devised a meaning of it because of the ending of the season, I don't think that is called spoiling. I think, if anything, it's foreshadowing and intentional. Like, it's not spoiling anything. You only realise it because you've watched the show. Um, Anyway. But you see, that's the connection. A good ending should make sense because you should have been led to it the whole time. We are creatures of story and we should be able to follow a story through to its end and not be like surprised entirely we should feel satisfied because the ending was satisfying and that is something that people especially writers now they're just being told I think it's really hard for the writers and they're on strike right now and I fully support that because they do not have enough time money and support but if you're told that you have to make it like contrary to what the public is clamoring for or if you can't have an ending because somebody guessed it on Twitter that is messed up if they guessed it on Twitter you're probably doing it right don't change it it should make sense. I agree. I think it's really annoying when people are like, oh my gosh, it was just like so predictable. It's called foreshadowing. It's just good writing. Like yeah. roll with it. Not everything has to be a shock. Humans are good at pattern recognition. That is part of what makes us so good at being like social creatures. Having a story that has patterns that we recognize and can put into a larger paradigm and then guess an ending. That is exactly what we should be able to do. And if you've done it well, it'll still be satisfying. My housemate and I do this thing where we'll watch terrible shows and we'll try to guess what everyone's point is within like the first couple of minutes. We'll be like, okay, so this is the story. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then we'll be like, yeah, we were right. (laughs) Because it's sometimes it's just that it's a recipe. Yeah. 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 I've been enjoying watching Midsummer because they're so they're nuts. Like they're so nuts. I'm not that good at guessing. I've read all of the Poirot books and I was still like, really? Okay. It was always a surprise to me. But I really do enjoy sitting there and talking about it with my husband because he always has a different perspective to me. And I'm like, ooh, maybe it could be this person. And it's really fun to see if the clues are laid out in a way that we actually get them or if one of us is partly right or not. Which is why, yeah, I really enjoy like the knives out glass onion thing because halfway through the film, they're like, and now we're going to show you what Mm. actually happened. I'm like, I'm really into that. I'm like, yes, show me. I did not see that at all. Show me more. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so my thing about spoilers, because this is a larger conversation seated in the concept of spoilers, is that they should make the show more enjoyable. Mm. I get not wanting to know the end of something, but also... I love looking for it when I know it's coming. Like, I love looking for it, knowing what I'm meant to be looking for. That's just lovely. That's just nice. Because then it makes me take it in more deeply and enjoy the media more deeply. That's good. Yeah, I mean, that's why I rewatch things, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, now I know what happened. So now I want to go back and see how they made that happen or what I missed. Yes. 
I love it when you get a show that's like better on a rewatch because you're like, ooh, I can see it's starting. I can see this clue. I can see that. I know what's going on. Ooh, they've just touched mm. hands. Oh, it's the best. And I don't even have to have shipper goggles on. I can just be in it for all of the relationships, not even the romantic ones, just all of them. <laughs> Here for it. I'm trying to think if I had anything else for change. I had something on connection as well. The connection that you make, it's through our connections that we trust people, right? It's because yeah. we believe in them. We see this trust that Genzi has in Adam where he says, you know, he didn't understand the plan, but he didn't need to. He trusted Adam's judgment. Yeah. My kingdom for this kind of reaction, the amount of times I just need people to just trust me instead of having to explain and understand every part of something. I'm like, you don't need to know. You don't need <laughs> to understand. We're just doing the thing. It doesn't matter. But no. Some people are very detail focused and it's very annoying. I always ask for more context because I'm scared I'm going to get it wrong somehow. But that's because I have in the past gotten it very wrong with very little context. I promise you that I trust you, but sometimes I'm just like, wait, I need to know why. Just tell me why. This is mostly work. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just sometimes at, at work I get really annoyed as well because I'm literally the only one who does my job and my team. So I'm like, I don't need, do you know how much I need to explain to you to get you to understand why I've made the decision that I I've made? I am my department. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do I need to prepare a PowerPoint and a three hour lecture to take you along? Let's talk about the development of social media over the last 10 years. I'll explain to you what a meme is. We'll get there. I'll explain to you the concept of succession. Like I literally posted a succession meme, got sign off for it. And my boss was like, what's succession? And I'm like, Oh god. It's a TV so show. Many, Everyone's so watching. Many this is so legitimately valuable. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but she was pretty good cuz she's like, "Oh, whatever, I trust you." I'm like, "Good. That's that's the reaction I like." There you go. I don't want to explain it. That's what you need. Yeah. Somebody who's like, "Yep, you know what you're doing. Just do it." And honestly, yeah. that is the best. It's when you can just sort of be like, uh, yeah, hand this off to me or I will hand this off to you and you know it'll get done. I love that they have that trust. Like Gansey has that trust in Adam because like, you know, if we go back to the ending of the first book, that trust had been broken. Yeah, He didn't absolutely. trust Adam, you know? So it's lovely. Lovely to see them come back to each other in this book. It is. I love that Adam is just willing and that Gansey is just willing. Mm. Like they're both willing. So good. It hurts me though because Adam now knows, you know, everything is through the lens of losing Gansey. And he just can't let himself do anything but live in that knowledge. He can't unknow it. But I do love yeah. that he acknowledges that Blue and Gansey are there to make things holy. That they're there to turn magic into something sacred. Which is a really beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah. I did like Adam connecting Gansey when Gansey says stop and on page 357. And Adam saw the present, but he also saw the past and the future stretched out as when Persephone had inspired him to see his own death. He saw Gansey now, but somehow here always, just about to leave this moment or just about to enter it or living it. Then his thoughts hitched and time moved again. It's like he was given this window into seeing the, I don't know, infinity of Gansey. And he was mm. able to connect to all of Gansey in this one moment. And then time just kept moving. Sometimes you get that. You just look at a person and you're like, wow, you have lived all of these moments and you will live all of these moments more. And yet you're here now with me. That's just big. I love it. Mm. So many good moments of connection. Um, did you have any tangential? I did. Oh, yes. I love Gwen Hlien's out of the box thinking. Like she gets so unwitted blue when she's like, how do you, how did you do that? If you're like me. And she's like, this question. It's just like asking how you can smash a nail if you're not a hammer. I'm like, this is great. This is great. Mm. You're right. These people need to think outside of the parameters that they've been put in. Mm. Like, I love that. Um, I've already spoken about my other ones. I just think Green Mantle's complete lack of spatial awareness strikes again when he has to, like, stumble <laughs> around trying to find a door to lead him outside. You know, you've been living there for a while, my guy, and you still don't know where the doors are in this house. <laughs> it made me laugh. Because he had to go inside to find Piper and she wasn't there. And he was just like, how do I get out again to get the envelope? Like, he's such an idiot. He just doesn't know where the doors are. And it's really, really funny. It's great. Yeah. How about you? What was your tangential? Um, I really want to talk about the way that desire and dread kept coming up. And mm. dread especially. So when Gansey was hugging Blue and she was crying and he sort of was like, help. And he couldn't tell who was comforting home. And then... It says desire and dread lay right next to each other in his heart, each sharpening the other. And there's more dread when he's like waiting for the news of whether or not they had Adam and Ronan had got to the bottom of that cliff. Like there's a lot of dread in this chapter and I just really loved it. It just kept popping up to me. I didn't want to use it for my in-depth, but it did. It, it was a close, it was a close second. 
all of the dread that I kept feeling secondhand. Yeah. Now that you mention it as well, I think there's change in that section too, that bit where he's comforting Blue because it's mm. this change of the quest, right? It's like everything is speeding up. It's like a ball of yarn unraveling or whatever the line is. Unwinding he just is wind, really, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really unfeeling that change that is coming. Yeah, and wanting to act with it instead of bracing against it or trying to resist it, but going with mm. it. I think that's the hardest thing when you've, and because he's been going on this quest for so long, that it's all speeding up now has got to be quite a change for him. I mean, at the beginning of this book, he and Adam were sort of saying how greedy they'd gotten for better magic. When a year ago, this would have been incredible. But now they're like, we need more. We need better. How much they've mm. changed from the beginning. Hmm. Anything else? I'm very sad about Jesse Ditley. I'm angry that he Aww. dies. I'm angry every time because I think he's lovely. And I'm glad yeah. that the gray man is angry about it, too. Well, did you have an index? I do. So I picked the bit on page 349 when they're about to enter Cave's Water, and it's from Blue's perspective, and she says, it seemed impossible that it was the same day Persephone had died. How did some days have so many hours in them? So the context is they've decided to go to the cave. They're not wasting any more time. They're not sitting around. Gansey has activated quest mode, right? They're going to go find Mora. I love that this isn't even about Glendower. It's just they're finding Mora. Cal mm -hmm. is with them. Blue's about to ask her to stay above ground, or yeah, above ground, but just before this she's thinking about how unreal it is that this is the same day that Persephone has died. So the way it relates to the themes, Blue is experiencing change and this is like the first parental figure she's lost, lost in a definite way. Immutably and terribly she's lost Persephone and she's connecting this unreal experience with her grief, like marveling that it's changing the way she's experienced time. And on a day like that, that she can have you know, it's so full of loss, but there are still hours in it, and it feels like there are so many more. And it really reminded me of the last song in Hamilton, because I think about this song like once a week, and it's <laughs> it's just one of those songs where you it just will never leave my brain, ever, where Eliza's singing about how she had so much more time. She was given the gift of time that Alexander never got, and she talks about all the things she does with her time. But this is a bit what that feels like, right? Like, Blue is left behind with all of this time, and because... Persephone has no more time. Blue is feeling it. She's really feeling every minute. She's feeling that the hours are just stuffed in. How many more hours can there be in a day? And it's because she's kind of hung up between Persephone's not getting anymore, but I still have this time. The way I'm going to use that going forward is I have been kind of feeling like I'm a time waster lately, just like noodling around doing stuff. And I'm like, this isn't productive. This isn't productive. And that's not very helpful because it doesn't actually make me do the things I want to be doing to be quote productive anymore. It just makes me feel bad about not being productive. Mm. So rather than being upset at myself for frittering away time, I'm going to uh, connect more with what I'm doing when I'm frittering away time. So I'm going to like really try and be in what I'm doing. So if I'm lying on my bed and reading a book, I'm just going to be like, hey, I'm lying on my bed reading a book and this is what I'm doing right now. And if I'm aware of it, then and maybe it'll feel valuable. If I treat it if it's value, like it's valuable, maybe it will be valuable. And that way I won't feel like I'm running out of time. Yeah, it's beautiful. Just being present. Yeah, because it can slip away so quickly without you even realizing. So being present, mm. I think, is just recognizing that it's passing mm. is great. And doing something that you you know enjoy, whether it's frittering or not. Like if you enjoy it, it's not a waste of time, right? Yeah, sometimes I just need to lie down and not do anything that requires any actual mental gymnastics <laughs> and like mm. I hate that that's true but also it makes me a better parent and partner and friend if I like carve out time for myself to just noodle but it's not productive <laughs> Meh. productivity is a capitalist curse <laughs> I know and I like feeling productive I like achieving things anyway do you have any in-depth this week I sure do. So mine is from the chapter that Ronan and Adam go and give Green Mantle his incriminating evidence. Mm. And I love it. So devious. <laughs> yeah. Page 338. And it's the line. Green Mantle disliked the fearlessness in his face. It was not even fearlessness. It was a lack of expression entirely. So he's talking about Ad like Adam just having this. He calls him a teenage sociopath. Right. <laughs> look about him. Because suddenly he's, you know, they've got this envelope, they've got the balance of power, and he's like, wow, I've really underestimated mm. these children. Um, I think it's changed because it's when your perception of someone changes. So Colin yeah. is actually seeing Adam in a way that he hasn't before. Like, he's seeing him as someone who is actual, who can probably play on the same field as Colin's playing at, you yeah. know? And there's also connection because you're pulling things together. Like, he's seeing the 
envelope and he's connecting that to the attitude being like oh there must be something really good in this envelope if this is the the power and the arrogance that brings them to my door right so they must have something and i I don't know why but it reminded me of elizabeth swan's arc in pirates of the caribbean so elizabeth starts in the first film of the trilogy she starts out kind of fearful like she wants to see magic in the world she's kind of intrigued by piracy but she's still quite she's in these situations that she's not playing on the same field right and there's that great line where Barbosa says to her, you know, you best start believing in ghost stories you're in one because mm-hmm. she's like, what is going on? And then we cut to the second film where she is like turning into this cutthroat kind of pirate, taking control of her own destiny, getting things done. She sacrifices Jack Sparrow to the Kraken to keep the crew safe and to get the Kraken off their back. She makes that sacrifice. Mm. And then she's in charge in the last one. Like she gets voted the Pirate King. She like wages a war against the East India Trading Company or the British Navy or whoever it was. I can't remember. <laughs> like she just goes through this whole arc. You know, if you were talking to Captain Norrington or her father at any stage of it, it would be this kind of like fearlessness in her face mm. and this idea that she doesn't want this life that they wanted for her. There's a lack of expression there. She just takes control of her destiny. And I think going forward, and maybe this is just me trying to make myself feel better about my own ruthlessness, a streak of which I definitely possess, but I think there's a time and a place for a little bit of sociopathy. Like, sometimes you just need to cut some throats to get stuff done, right? And I mm. guess the key is just being sure that when you are doing it, you are aware you're doing it for the right reasons and then the right moment and not just willy-nilly at all times. So Yeah. Yeah. If you got to blow your life up, blow it up in a contained way. Yeah, exactly. To go make back sure. to your original story. Yeah. Make sure that you're doing it. You're doing what you need to do, but in a way that is like suited to it, suited to the circumstances. Because mm. otherwise it's just a lot of stress. Yeah. Nobody needs that stress in their life. <laughs> that was lovely, Jen. Um, who would you like to spotlight this week? So I'm actually going to spotlight Adam. Because of the line, I found her and it didn't make a difference. I think that's such a horrible position for him to be in. He's lost this mentor kind of figure. He's lost so much, right? He's in this difficult position. He's undergoing so much change. And to feel that weighing on him, to feel like you could have done more and you didn't because you missed something, you didn't make those connections, wishing you could change it. It's just a lot. And he's just sitting on the steps by himself trying to deal with it. You know? It's just hard. Yeah. So true. Poor Adam. Yeah. Who would you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Jesse Ditley this week. He was not trying to keep them out of his cave out of any fear of them, you know, going in and taking something. He was trying to protect them. He was there to get rid of the awful creatures that dwell in the cave and were coming out and terrorizing his house. I mean, he'd been in there so long that the the minions thought that the house was unoccupied, that no one lived there. He'd just been staying Mm. in the cave the whole time, protecting the world from it. And it just made me think there are a lot of unseen guardians out there who are shooting all the monsters with their shotgun, who are just sitting and waiting for them. And are trying to keep everyone else safe, but they just look scary on their own. And I don't know, there's something about Jesse Ditley who, he's just so good and pure and tall and amazing and loud. And I love him and I'm very sad that he died. So he gets a spotlight for for holding court and for protecting people who frankly deserve to get eaten by whatever monsters come out of that cave. They're all horrible, except the gray man. But, you know, I love that he, I love that he tried to save them, even though they were kind of crap. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. Do you have any homework for our listeners this week? Other than the succession finale. Succession. <laughs> you can listen to my new podcast when it comes yes. out. It's going to be called That's On My Watch List. And yeah, Ted Lasso. So I watched the new season of Ted Lasso and finished it and cried like mm. a small child during the final episode because this is not a spoiler, but they use father and cat stevens father and son oh yeah over the ending and oh, I, yeah. that song always gets me like right in the feels so like yeah. to have that as well as like i was just like <laughs> oh what is happening anyway so that was a whole thing i hear so, you yeah, watch ted lasso people have said a lot of mean things about this ted lasso season and i think they're all wrong so you know i think the only yeah. difference is 
we have because we wanted to be mollycoddled in 2020 and being treated like nice kind people and just being given a warm hug people were much more receptive to the show than they are now in 2023 where they're like now cold and dead inside again and they're like <laughs> oh this show used to be funny i don't think it's changed at all i think we have changed but... i haven't seen any of season three yet but i've been keeping up with the gifts so i kind of have a loose idea of what's happening and i think that the way that it wrapped up from what i can tell is actually really good like i was never a hardcore I guess this is a bit spoilery, but I was never a hardcore Ted Becker shipper, so that was not a thing that, like, no. I love that they're, I want them to be platonic soulmates, and that was, it seems like that's where that ended up, so happy for that. And also as a parent, I 100% agree with Ted, I would do the same thing. Even with a found family, sometimes you really just want to be there for your kid in a way that your parent couldn't be there for you, so I get that. I think it makes perfect, perfect scenes in terms of the character arc of the character. Like, I feel like that's always where he was going. Mm. I feel like everyone, the best character development is Jamie. Like, Jamie's oh, arc yes. has been incredible from season one to where we are now. And even Nate, like the, what they've done with Nate in the end, actually mm-hmm. beautiful. So I was just really happy. And yeah, I like I said, that. cried. So, oh, good. Mm. Yes, definitely. Ted Lasso, for sure. Do you have any homework? I do. So now that I've finished all the Poirot books and I'm finished crying myself to sleep over it, um, I've been reading the second book in the Gilded duology by Marissa Meyer. And um, she wrote like Cinder, you know, mm-hmm. the, the retellings, the dystopian future retellings of Cinderella. And she's a great YA writer and she writes fantasy really well. And I really love Gilded. So I'm reading Cursed now and it's just a great fairy tale retelling. It's got a real spin on it that I enjoy. And yeah, it's Nice. It doesn't require a lot of me, but I still really enjoy it. Great. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 48 through the epilogue, through the theme of discovery. Mm. We'll be wrapping up the book. I don't know if I'm ready. Yep. It'll be fine. We'll be fine. It'll be a big one. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for potting with me today, Jen. I'm so glad we've gotten to chat about this book. It's such a good, good book. So many great moments, and I love talking about them with you. Yeah, same. All right. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 